is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. It's a great honor to have you on the show tonight. Welcome, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. Yes, this is Uri. Hi, Uri. It's Nicole Whitney calling News for the Soul. Welcome to News for the Soul, Robert Allen. Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you tonight. Why are you here? We're talking to Carolyn Mace about Sacred Contracts, one of her many best-selling books. Welcome to the show, Greg Braden. Well, good evening, Nicole. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to hear your voice and a pleasure to be here tonight. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we're live now with Indigenous People's Perspectives with... News for the Soul begins its 27th year in January 2024. Find out our latest news at newsforthesoul.com. Next on News for the Soul, Indigenous Perspectives with Diane. Diane Hill is a member of the Bear Clan of the Mohawk Nation, situated at the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory in Ontario. She works as an integrative programs consultant at the Real School Leadership Program. She's also the director, owner, and operator of a private healing lodge and learning center focused on healing and fostering emergence of the good mind. Her passion is to teach, empower, and bridge the Western allopathic scientific perspective with the ancient, indigenous, multidimensional approach to wholeness. Please welcome Diane back to News for the Soul. Good afternoon, everyone. I guess it's Groundhog Day, so I should be wishing everybody happy Groundhog Day. I saw a crazy meme on Facebook just before I came on the show, and it was posted by a friend of mine with a picture of a groundhog, and he was holding a sign saying, I'm I'm a rodent, not a meteorologist. <laughs> so that was my funny for today. So I just want to welcome back to my show today, uh, Jamie Lynn Montour. Jamie was uh, a guest of mine a month ago on News for the Soul, and her we had a good interview, a really great one, and where she had gotten radically honest about her cocaine addiction and her struggle with untying herself from that addiction. So I wanted to invite Jamie back today on the show. So my guest then is Jamie Lynn Montour. Jamie's a member of the Turtle Clan of the Delaware Nation. She's registered here at the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Uh, And Jamie's a licensed paralegal in Ontario, and she combines her life coaching services um, with her healing and wellness workshops and together all that combination of things is under a business that she's created called JLM Professional Outsource. 
So from this business platform, Jamie's able to offer folks a wide range of legal and wellness services that she creates from her own in-depth personal, her academic, and her employment-related life experiences. So that's what Jamie's going to do again today. She's going to, we're going to pick up where we left off and go into more radical, honest discussion around Jamie's experience, a personal experience with untying herself from a cocaine addiction. So I'd like to welcome back Jamie Lynn Montour. Jamie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Um, thank you again for having me back. <clears throat> Oh, you're welcome, Jamie. There was some questions that the producer, Nicole Whitney, had sent um, to me, some questions and some comments after your last show. So we were moved and inspired by those comments. And so I remember sending them to you and um, inspiring story eh, that you had, like you really got a lot of interest. So it was important to have you back and to kind of pick up or maybe we need to do a little review uh, of, of what you talked about generally so that people who are listening today might catch up with us in terms of why we're exploring and how we're exploring this topic of, of getting free from, from cocaine, eh? And because that journey of addiction is a hard one. Do you remember a little highlights of what you had said last time? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was my life, right? Really, I yeah. just introduced. It was I. I introduced a piece of my history, you know, um, the the traumas, the experiences that I had that disconnected me from knowing who I am, and using that substance and how it, how my introduction to it was, you know. I guess how it latched onto me, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, well, I remember. I remember that that part of the story because you started off sharing with the listeners a time when you went to uh, New York State, and and how you had gone um, over there to attend. Um, I'm assuming a party. I don't know if you said it quite that way, but um, but there was that was cocaine be, was being presented eh, and offered out at that party. And I think the h- hard part for people was hearing you say where you ended up out in the countryside where the the police took you out there. So if you want to just sort of pick that, pick it up from there, do you, can you fill in the blanks for us on what went on in New York State? And then we can maybe start the story from there. Yeah, well, I did... I was in uh, I was in more of a suburban area, so I was in Secaucus, and it wasn't the countryside. Like I was still in the city; it's still a city, right? But I was out there for what was supposed to have been a vacation, and oh. like it was, um, I wasn't introduced to cocaine at that time. It was that trauma that I experienced from there, where. I really felt that fear, you know, that unsafety that, you know, I didn't feel protected even by the police. So how and did you, how did you get out there? How did drove. the police, yeah, how did the police get you though? So 
I was out at a bar, and I found out that, um, you know, my my children's father had another girlfriend out there. So I met her, and then when he was confronted with it, um, he basically... Well, he, oh my gosh. Okay, so he used his hands, or my hands, to hit him. So he hmm. was creating this assault, and I don't know if we had got too loud. We were in a hotel room afterwards when all this was going on, and somebody from the hotel must have called the police. The police came and they took me out. So I had to grab my belongings and uh, they just put me in their cruiser and drove me to a bus stop and just left me there. So I didn't really, like, I don't know. I don't really know why I was the one that was taken. You know what I mean? Really, hey? Huh. Because there was a question that came in from one of the uh, listeners when you had mentioned that part of your story about being left out at a bus stop. The police just dropped you off there and you had, um, you didn't have anything with you, did you, at that time? No, like, I, had, no money. Well, I didn't have a cell phone, no money, no nothing, yeah. Just, just yeah. my luggage and myself. So, yeah. Yeah, I, so there was... Listener said, well, did you take it up with any authorities? Did you do anything? And um, did you address it with any authorities after that? Or did you find a way who supported you through that trauma? How did you get back? We believe I was guided back. I have no memory of how I found the hotel that we were staying at. Like, I had no idea where I was. But I do know that. I was dodging the police because they said if they found me going back that I was going to be arrested and that oh. I was going through like um, alleyways and trying to avoid the main street. I I really can't say how I knew where the hotel was. It, I, I believe well. I was just back to it. So yeah. you did um, get back. Nothing was ever done. Like, I, I honestly haven't even thought too much about that event until very recently. And I think maybe it was the last the last uh, interview when that memory came back to me. So really, I'm, I'm still processing that. Like, it was being deserted. I was deserted. I was alone. Yeah. I was not safe. I was, you know. Yeah. Abandoned out there in a, yeah, and being very afraid. So, so at that time, when you were at the hotel, had you had you been? So you weren't using cocaine at that time. You were you were were you drinking? Were you using alcohol or any, was, anything else? No, yeah, it was just alcohol back then. Um, I was introduced to cocaine shortly after that. So okay. That that would have been August of twenty or two thousand one. So it was just before nine eleven. 
Yeah. Because I remember thinking when 9-11 happened, I did remember that. And I thought to myself, well, I do remember seeing those towers. But that's the only real memory that I wanted to hang on to of that trip. I didn't want to remember, you know, the altercations or, you know, the abuse that I went through while I was there. And uh, yeah, and that, that makes sense. With the police themselves. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. So you wouldn't want to even think about or even reporting it because you wouldn't, you'd just try to bury the memory because of the pain of it. Yeah. And I, I had to have buried it very well because it didn't really spark anything. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it wasn't known. I mean, I did think of it, yeah, when 9-11 happened and then I kind of just, let it go because it doesn't compare to 9-11, right? Yeah, but. that's right. I, th- I think that's a really good and honest answer eh, for the listener who wanted to know why you it, this incident, your incident, was never addressed with any authorities and how horrible it was, you know, that what happened to you. And, I get, and, you know, the person was saying, well, why weren't people ever reprimanded for that? But you're answering that question because to, for someone who's going through trauma or just been traumatized, the initial reaction is, is what exactly what you're saying is like it's more like trying to forget it than it is trying to look for, look for help or to, you know, take it up to report somebody, right, to a higher authority. Um, people who are trauma victims just aren't thinking like that way at the time that these kinds of events happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, by that time, I hadn't really uh, reported anything to the police uh, of any of the assaults that I was going through until, right. I yes. guess, shortly after that, because when I got home and... The abuse continued it got worse and it was it was just that experience of you know constantly fearing who's going to help me what like who's going to help me I once did report to Six Nations police and Mm Actually, no, I did a few times after after that because, like I said, it like the abuse got worse, and uh, there was then, there was one comment where you f- was made kind of didn't want to report anymore because they I kept going back I kept going back to that relationship, so. But were I you reporting like was, out of uh, were you reporting out of a fear for your life? Is that what made it different, that made it okay for you to call the police as the abuse got worse? Were you starting to fear for your life? Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And you, wouldn't wanna, and you wouldn't want to report it because after a while, even then reporting it, start, you get sometimes victims of violence and assault, they get worse beatings because you reported it. So then that will cause um, the stoppage of reporting and and people kind of shy away from doing it after after a while, right? And then after a while, then you don't get any help. There's also incidences where you don't get enough help and then people, so you start saying to yourself, well, what's the use, eh? 
I'm almost all alone with this. I might as well just deal with it the best way I can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really helpful, I think, to help people to understand the side of being, um, the, it's your way of thinking, eh? And the way that you're feeling. And and from the side of, um, I know I don't like using that word, but but it kind of, that's sort of the word that, I, that gets across to people, is that when you're a victim of assault, when you're on the receiving end of it, there are lots of emotions and lots of thoughts that are going not in terms of your defense, but actually looking for a way to help you to simply survive. Yeah. And you, yeah, and you I, had children. I at that time when I was like, I eventually ran from that relationship. Um, yes. I remember you saying that. Yeah. And I lived, I lived in Windsor for a couple of years. And during that time, you know, I started to, reclaim more of my own independence and, and stability for myself. Like I, I didn't drink when I lived out there. In fact, I had, um, see the abuse had gotten worse. And on the day that I ran, I was a couple months pregnant with my youngest. So that was an assault. It was actually September 16. 2002. I was pregnant with my youngest, and he shows up at my residence, and he assaulted me because I refused to take him to court because I was the blame for him having to go to court, and the assault was pretty... It was pretty, it was pretty intense. Like this is an assault that I can, I can guarantee is ingrained in my son because they were present and they witnessed. And, you know, my, my need to run from that, I never really, um, I'm not sure I, I really dealt with that either. I mean, I I knew that majority of my my other experiences with trauma. I always knew I had flight in me, but that was my first flight, right? And yeah, it did, it did get me away. And when I end up coming back, I wound up going right back to a different relationship with similar abusive qualities and that relationship reintroduced cocaine to my life and there's this (laughs) there's this family belief that was brought down somehow Mm -hmm. to me and it was just a comment I had overheard where The the woman had said, you know, you're if you don't if you don't go with him, he'll just be with somebody else. And so when the relationships I was in 
wound up using cocaine, it was like, <clears throat> well, I'll just join him, right? Yes. And I knew I didn't want it, but at the same time, it was better to use it and then than to fight, I guess. Yeah, and sense. and it was a way of staying with him too, like because that's what he was doing. So it was a right. way of staying no, with no, him, right? It wasn't the same man, but that's oh, okay. How? Yeah, when I when I ended up in a a different relationship, it was pretty much almost all my relationships afterwards. They had that same quality. So the pattern was there. I just wasn't seeing it. Oh, okay. Wasn't so the pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pattern of choosing men who who were abusive. That pattern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you chose another person after you ran away from your your husband, and then you got with the second gentleman, and he's the one who introduced you to the cocaine. Is that do do I have that right now? No, he reintroduced. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so 2021, or sorry, 20, oh my gosh, 2001, that incident happened in New York. Mm -hmm. When I got back home, Mm -hmm. it was was probably October that same year that I was introduced to it for the first time. And then that's when I knew that I could use that and I didn't have to fight or argue with my kid's dad. I knew at that point that I could shut off those those feelings, that fear feeling, right? Yes. And or any any other feeling to be honest, like it was I was able to really just turn off my emotions and just be there and experience whatever was happening around me. Right. So when it wasn't me and him out, it would be him out, and then that's when he would come home and I'd get, like, I'd get beat up. And then eventually I started calling the police. And then that went on for a year and a bit. But in the meantime, like, I would use cocaine recreationally. So I wasn't okay. that involved with it. And then when he assaulted me on September 16th, uh, 2002, I ran. I had been pregnant. I gave birth to my daughter in Windsor. And by 2004, I came back to Six Nations. Mm-hmm. When I came back to Six Nations, I wasn't I wasn't using, I wasn't doing anything. And then um, my kid's dad and I, our relationship just fell apart. And I wound up getting into a new relationship. So I hadn't been using, but this new relationship came along. And then that, when... Uh, cocaine was brought back into my into my life and I used it and yeah eventually it got to the point where 
that relationship ended, but I still used. Okay. So did you say last time when we were chatting in your last interview that you were reintroduced to it one night because your that that gentleman you were with was hitting on somebody else? That was the first night. That was the first time I ever did it. Oh. So I did my first line, and in that moment that I did it, he had said something to a girl that was sitting beside me. And the fact that I didn't have any reaction to it was an indicator for me that this drug was able to shut that off for me. Oh, yeah. Was able to help you. And so you didn't care. I didn't care. Amazing. Hmm. So that's why it would be attractive for many individuals then to use cocaine if it has that ability to shut off, to remove you from your feelings, like to shut them off easily so that you wouldn't, those kinds of things, you wouldn't have to struggle with any kind of pain, any kind of heartache, any kind of, like it would just be, I'm just trying to understand, right? Never having done cocaine, I'm just trying to understand and get, you know, some, something across to, um, to others who may be curious about it, but not really familiar with how the drug works. But that's pretty amazing if, if you can take, um, and how did you take it? Did you, did you snort it with a, uh, with something that was rolled up like a tube or how do you do lines, yeah. I guess is the question. I would do lines with uh, rolled up money or a cut up straw or I would use a fingernail, um, yeah, depending on where I was and what the setup was. It's it's not a very social drug, so it's something, you know, I often did in a bathroom. Oh, I mean, okay. As to how you were going to ingest it, right? Yeah, because, you know, the, I never, I, we have this, us non users, we have this impression that you are all at a party and it's out in the open and there's um, lines laying on the table or on some kind of uh, glass or mirror. I watch too many movies, obviously, right? <laughs> we wouldn't think. I mean, it is. Of, it can't be like that. And I've had it like that. Like I've been at, I've been to places where it's been like that. But see, I I kept it low key, so nobody really knew that I was. Unless I used drugs with you, really, you wouldn't have known, right? Until mm-hmm. I got really, really careless with it, and that well, that didn't happen until like 2016. I started getting what do you careless. Mean? And what do you mean by careless? By careless, I was not being as discreet. So I was using CD cases that were in my vehicle, and I was leaving like I was leaving baggies lying around, or I maybe did too much, and I'd have like cocaine on my nose still, and I was just really, I just really didn't care. Huh? I felt like at that time, you know, it didn't matter because it was doing what it was doing for me. I didn't I didn't consider, you know, those people that had no idea 
why I was being the way I was being, like how how I could hold it together because it was in 2016 when he had hung himself at my house. So, yeah, and you you saved that. him that time. I remember you saying yeah, I, that the last that you and your brother saved him and cut him down. And there was a question about, well, how did he die? Like there was a a listener who wrote in and said, I'm curious about how her husband did end up passing because they remember that part of your story where where he he was uh, hanging. Yeah, he he actually died a year and a bit later, but he was in a boating accident, so it wasn't on his own his own terms. I guess it was just his, his time. So did he did he fall out of the boat or were 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 they partying in the boat life. or I I can't say. I can't say. I wasn't I wasn't there yeah. and I don't I don't really know Nobody the knows. details. Yeah. Yeah, it was but, you know But he drowned, eh? That he fell out of the boat and drowned. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Crash goes my so so getting I'm looking I'm very aware of the time here so getting clean getting free of it there was a point when you just said what to yourself when you just said I had enough or I'm done how did you how did you start the journey to get free of it I I had finished my paralegal program I was struggling in that last year. So I was working full-time and going to school full-time, and that was 75 hours out of my week. And, like, it was, it, was doing it, it was doing what it was doing for me until it wasn't anymore. So it was by February of 2018 when I had to give one up, and I ended up taking a leave of absence from my work so I could focus on finishing my school. And I knew that it was affecting me at that point because I couldn't focus and, and whatever. But I, I, <laughs> I had a reading. <clears throat> I went and saw a reader, and it's the same reader I had seen since 2012. And since that time, she always asked me who was using cocaine around me, and I never acknowledged it, never accepted it as me. Mm-hmm. And... It was around that time I had that reading and she had said, you know, tell whoever's using that if they don't stop that it's going to take them. And then I knew that was me. It was just like a knowing, right? I just had this feeling, but I still used. So I tried to quit February, March, April. I relapsed. I continued to use on the weekend. It was by May I stopped, but I had not been working. So I thought, cut back on work, but that gave me more time to think. And so instead of thinking, I was using. When I, when I finished uh, the program, I believe it was April or May of 2018, I said I was going to stop. And I relapsed twice. So I relapsed in August and then again in September. And I put 
two and two together because at that time I wasn't doing anything, but I ended up going to a party thinking I could still drink. Uh-huh. And then I got too drunk. And so I got cocaine to level out. And uh-huh. then it was September, September 16, 2018, when I was assaulted by the boyfriend that I had at that time. So that was the pattern. I associated the assaults with the drugs and alcohol. And I woke up at Ganokoshra. It was probably a week later. And I just, I had enough. Like I hadn't used since September 16, 2018. Right. And people listening um, are to understand that Ganokoshra is a woman's shelter here on Six Nations. So I just thought yeah. I would add that in for the, some of the listeners to give them some context. Yeah. yeah, so when I had my first night there, I woke up in the morning and I and I just knew that was it for me. Like I knew okay. when yeah. I was assaulted that there was that pattern and I knew I had to get rid of something. But yeah. on my first night there, it was really looking at me. Yes. I had I had to look for who I am. Yeah. And I knew I was not an addict and I was not a victim and I'm not a survivor. I'm just, I'm just me. And I didn't understand what that meant, but I put in the work for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember on our last call when you, you mentioned something because a listener again wrote in and said that when you started, you quit cocaine because you needed to find you you needed to find out who you were who you are and what did that mean and part of your journey back was that um you went to self-help groups right um then you went to church um you also went to longhouse and somebody asked about that what was the what's what's the longhouse um as a way to finding your way back to you, how did the what is the longhouse and how did it help you? Well, the way I, the way I, um, the way I see the longhouse, you know, is it's where they where they practice those traditional ceremonies. Yeah, yeah, ceremonies. Like yeah, mhm, and. I'd never been. I I went that time, and I intended to go this year, but I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. But I found my way to more ceremonies after that. So I did the uh, Scaring of the Ashes ceremony at the Longhouse. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had my first sweat. And then I had two more sweats after that. And then I had uh, attended a Yuwiti ceremony. And, you know, I went through your program a number of times, which introduced me to different ceremonies and more more intimate for, for the self, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. My experience yeah. with the ceremonies, they've been pretty pretty intense in the, in the, in the release Part. And I, 
I don't, I don't consciously know how to explain it. To be honest, it's more, you know, just the knowing. I just know that by being there and by experiencing these, um, these ceremonies for myself, it's gratifying. Yeah, and it helped you to reconnect to your own energy. What, which which we would call the spirit, but a lot sometimes people have a hard time with that word because they don't understand that the life force was inside you. Your spirit um, is a life force that's come here to have a human experience. And when people start going to ceremonies, oftentimes it's the energy of the ceremony because it's given. You're you're in a state of being grateful. You're in a state of focusing on your yourself and and the energy of creation, which is full of life force and full of that kind of um, uh, loving and, and kindness and, and sharing and like those feelings, those I think were the things that are missing from people when they're growing up. So that when yeah. you go through a ceremony, they, it touches you, eh? Suddenly you go, oh, I feel something, but it's not bad. It's a, it's a good feeling that that yeah. enlivens you it uplifts you eh and and those ceremonies yeah. uplifted you that's what i hear you saying yeah yeah i mean it was helpful in the beginning like i did all the programs the na the aa the i had like three counselors uh, psychotherapists and like i did all those other forms but then covid had hit and all of that shut down so I really, I was left in a void for a bit. And Mm -hmm. then it was shortly after everything started opening back up when I was introduced to the Akashic Records and I was introduced to your program. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it lit lit something inside of me where I knew that was for me. And I just went in. I just deep dived and, you know, just just followed the path from that point just to keep that it was it was <laughs> it was like an addiction to self discovery. <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's a good way yeah. to say it, Jamie. That's right. You discovered your own self, your own energy and you and, and your heart and what you you had feelings. You were reconnecting to your feelings and to your body again. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a very profound experience in itself. I was just talking about that last night. You know, the first time that I remember being in my body, I mm-hmm. was itchy. I like my skin itched and I could not I couldn't I just couldn't, you know, I just kept scratching and scratching because I never knew what that felt like. Mhm. It, yeah, it was very uncomfortable to be in my skin for the first time when I had disconnected from myself for more than thirty years. Yeah, as you said, as you said, the cocaine shut it off. You didn't have to feel anything, so you didn't have to be in the body. You didn't have feelings. That you didn't have to live that way at all. So yeah. coming back to you was brand new. Coming back to that body and coming back to those feelings was brand new for you. It feels pretty good now. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I do like being present, and I do like 
what it feels like to feel that inner energy within, right? Like I, I, mm-hmm. I can sit in silence. I can, I can be by myself. I can just enjoy, you know, the wind mm-hmm. or the sun or just the earth itself, like just to sit. And I've never been able to do that. Yeah, that's you've come a long way, Jamie, that's for sure. There was a guest who asked, it's hard to know where to go and who to trust when you're ready to reach out for help. So how did you know? How did you know and who who to reach out to? I knew that I didn't want to hang on to it anymore, and I couldn't, I couldn't let anything stop me. I, it wasn't a matter of who I could trust or whatever. I just started talking and it was as if like there was no guilt, no shame involved in it. It was just what it was. I had to, I had to, I guess the biggest one would have been telling my kids, but I had to do that. We've talked about it since. But it was that writing, it was releasing in writing that I was able to just let that part, that that energy go. Like I just, and after, after telling, or after writing that letter and then giving them that and then dealing with their reaction to it, I was more open to tell my parents and anyone else because the only people that really mattered, whose opinion really mattered, was my kids. So once I knew that they were okay, like nobody else's opinion mattered. I, whether or not they did what they did with whatever I shared with them, that's not my business. You know, it's mm-hmm. I can't hold it no more. I can't not share it. Like even in the beginning of this interview, I struggled. <laughs> because I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to bring up, you know, what I've been through. I'd rather share what I'm doing today. And, you know, I understand it's just really hard to to keep remembering the past. Not that I don't want to. It's just I've, I've let a lot of it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you don't dwell there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard. But I, I, I it's recognize. Necessary. It's necessary yeah. to to help others understand. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather, I'd rather write a book, get it out there word for word, <laughs> and then <laughs> yes. be able to say, read my book, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be really good if you could do that, J- Jamie, because there's so many people who really want to understand you know, about addict for number one, and then two, about how cocaine and why cocaine is so common and so easily, um, you know, what's it do for people? Because people have this this vision of looking at cocaine users as something dark and seedy. And um, I don't think they realize that cocaine was actually uplifting you and energizing you and giving you the, 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 um, the clarity in your mind to get to do a lot of the schoolwork that you were doing and to multitask in the way that you were able to multitask 
combining schoolwork, kids, like you did a lot of things, like in, like you said, a 75-hour work week. And a lot of that was because cocaine helped you do it. Yeah. And and people don't really understand that because I think they see it as something like a downer or something that's like, well, alcohol is a downer, like a depressant. So people kind of see that you get incapacitated, you would be incapac- incapacitated at some point. But that wasn't the way for you in the beginning. It was actually helpful. No. Right. Yeah. And, and I have, I'm a great fan of Dr. Gabor Mate's work. Um, and he's a retired physician now. He, he's become an expert in addiction uh, from his work uh, working with homeless and addicted people on the east side of Vancouver. And one of the things that he, say, he says very clearly is that addiction can be any behavior, and it doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs or, or you know, that people find this behavior and they crave this behavior, they crave this thing, whether it's a substance or uh, a process, right? Because it brings relief to you, and it's a way to to address a, the problem of having become disconnected. It's a way to help you to you know manage your feelings and manage the things, the pain that's going th- that that you've experienced in the world. So addiction is a way that people people get addicted to solve a problem. What's the problem? Being disconnected, eh? Yeah, that was the that was the problem for me. Yes, absolutely. And and it's hard I know for you to go back there, but what what a story of inspiration. You know, there were a couple of listeners who wrote into the producer who and I can read a couple of those comments, um, you know, to just illustrate how important it is for people to share like this on this level because this is really your life and radically honest about it it's hard to do so there's a lady listener who said thank you so much for sharing your story um another one said i was really moved by your story and inspired by your strength so so jamie i just wanted to encourage you to like write that book that's a really good another good way to to reach out eh? to help people to understand because we don't understand and we've never yeah. people who's never done it eh? we, we we have all these misconceived ideas and assumptions about what it's like but when we hear somebody talk from their first-hand experience and then we go oh, okay i get it <laughs> yeah well i did have a i did have a contract for a book so i did start writing i have like so much written but the problem was was it was too it was it was too detailed and they didn't want to put that potential re-traumatizing or traumatizing the reader on their uh mm-hmm. on their but they like they didn't want to back that because I was too honest about mm-hmm. my experience so i mean i have I still have the potential to to get it out there, but mm-hmm. I do believe that if I really want to do it in my way. I'm going to have to self-publish. Yeah, and that might not be a bad idea. That might be the better path to follow because that way you can be really true to yourself, eh? Yeah. Well, Jamie, mm-hmm. once once again, it's this. The listener writes, you, sh- you show such inspirational levels of strength. Thank you very much. 
for 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 coming on the show today and and revisiting this again um with us uh to answer some of these questions because these are things that um were outstanding from our last interview together and i'm sure that the listeners who have wondered what happened and had followed up from the last one i know i know there's i don't think there's a way that they know who's coming on we we kind of just present the show and then people check in if they're interested to listen um so this has been a great revisiting of your your life again but i think we got a little bit deeper and a little bit clearer this time which was which is always good always good to revisit isn't it funny each time you you say it you get a little bit clearer on what happened and why it happened and what you what you were thinking and and how you got caught right and then how you got out i just think it yeah worth worthwhile if you can make those visitations to your life they they help sort out some things for you that you never got to see before yeah so, and coming they, from a more well position <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's true. So we're going to have to end the time. It's come to an end. These sessions go really, really fast. But I want to thank you, Jamie, for coming back and revisiting that part of your life again and answering some of the questions and uh, that were put out from the last show. And I just want to encourage you to just keep, um, keep going. And, and if you can write that book, wow, let me know when it's published. I'll be the first to buy it. Okay. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Thanks, Jamie. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. for the soul begins its 27th year in January 2024 find out our latest news at newsforthesoul.com